the uh, combined with the Karen church here. So I yelled for two days in a row, and I don't think my voice has recovered since. I'm still a little bit scratchy. Two, four, seven. For those of you who are baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come and uh, sink our teeth into it together and just pray that um, through the word this morning that you can speak through this and speak into our hearts and reveal yourself to us. Amen. Uh, it's good to see that more people have come through as the morning has gone on. Um, any lack of people I'm going to blame on the weather and not the fact that I'm giving the sermon today, not Alex. Um, all right. So uh, when we put on a new set of clothes, often that can change who we are. I think particularly of actors in this, and one person who I think really embodies this is Gary Oldman. He's been in a lot of different films. Um, I really like the films that he's in. The Book of Eli, The Fifth Element, uh, the Batman films. And the thing with Gary Oldman and great actors like him is that you don't know that it's Gary Oldman in there. They put on this new set of clothes, they put on this new face, and they become that person. Uh, this also happens often when people go and play a sport. I've just joined a soccer team and I'm not really keen on the rain at the moment. I think I'm going to have a nice long hot shower when I get home after that today. Uh, but if you've ever heard of white line fever, it's the idea that people become very different when they cross that white paint and they enter the sports field. They might be very humble, very nice, very kind person, but as soon as they get on that field, they become someone very different, very aggressive uh, and you can get very surprised at who they become when they become competitive. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Our first verse this morning uh, from chapter 3, verse 27 is, For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And the sense here is that people have been baptized, have clothed themselves with Christ through the decision an act of getting baptized or dedicating themselves to Jesus. This metaphor of clothing comes up in numerous places in the Bible where having uh, pure and clean clothes means to be righteous or be in a place of right relationship with God. In fact, it is written into the law of Moses, the laws in the Old Testament that Paul has been talking about and that Alex spoke on 
in his last sermon, written into these laws that when sacrifices were made to atone for people's sins, um, to make them righteous, there were rules about making sure that the individuals involved, namely the priests, and often their clothes and their instruments were clean. Uh, And you can read an example about that in Numbers 19. Uh, There are also numerous events throughout the Bible where angels appear, or Jesus appears, uh, and even in visions of prophets and, and visions of people where these figures that are pure, they appear in all white, in these pure clothes. In the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, Malachi makes a prediction about Jesus in chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. So there's that imagery of these clean clothes signifying righteousness. So for those who are baptized into Christ, for those who believe in Christ, we no longer have these old clothes that are ragged and dirty and need washing. To keep with the metaphor, the old clothes that we wore under the law, they required cleaning and they required upkeep. They required uh, sacrifice to atone for sins through the law. But no more. When we put on the clothes of Christ, we are saved and that's it. Verse 28 goes, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse follows on from the previous passage in verse 26 um, that says, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Alex spoke about this in in our last sermon on Galatians, about how the idea of uh, sonship that Paul is talking about here is a really important cultural idea. Um, The eldest son would inherit the father's estate, so they were a special chosen one to inherit what belonged to the father or the household owner. What this verse is then saying is that uh, when Paul says, you are all sons, he means we are all the special chosen ones to inherit what belongs to the Father or God. This inheritance is not limited just to sons, but it's open to everyone. Uh, And in fact, not only is it now open to everyone, but the markers that delineated people in the past are no longer really relevant in the grand scheme of things. Jew, Greek, British, Noongar, Filipino, Western States, Eastern States, uh, whether you are slave or free, whether you are male or female, we are all one in Christ. Now, obviously, culture is important uh, and should be recognized, and elsewhere in the Bible, Paul himself recognizes this. In Romans 14:20, he says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. That was a cultural tension there. And what Paul was saying is that we recognize there are cultural differences, and that's okay. So do what you need to do to overcome those differences so that we can celebrate together as people of God because we are all one in Christ. The idea of changing your behavior to accommodate other people believing in Jesus continues today. uh, And this is a really big thing for the Salvation Army for example. 
Uh, while it is clear that Jesus condones the drinking of alcohol in moderation throughout the Bible, we have, you know, communion, which was originally wine, as well as Jesus' first uh, big public miracle being turning water into wine. Uh, the Salvo's big emphasis on their mission to the marginalized, including many who have serious problems with alcoholism, calls them to decide to abstain from drinking any kind of alcohol, and that is still a core tenet of uh, the Salvation Army today for the sake of their mission and the people that they reach out to, um, for whom alcohol would be a block in their relationship with Jesus. In the end, what matters is that we are all children of Christ. And cultures and people groups really just add flavour to the world, which is a great thing, because if everyone was like me, things would get pretty boring. Verse 24, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Uh, And again, this verse calls back to the previous passage where it's talking about, well, God gave the promise to Abraham, but then the law came after that, so that should override the promise. But now Paul is saying it's still all about the promise anyway, so what's the point of the law? And what Paul arrived at with all of that is that the law was given for a specific purpose and it was given for a limited amount of time. The law is good for its purpose, but ultimately, if we now can put on the clothing of Christ, when we put on that righteousness, then we are living into the promise that God gave Abraham all the way back at the start of that journey before the law was given. And even though the journey has taken many ups and downs, God had one plan from the start. And that plan was to honour and fulfil that promise that he gave to Abraham. And that promise is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And God promised Abraham that his seed or his children would be countless and that they would prosper. And Paul is saying that we now are the seed or we are the children. We are the heirs of Abraham and our inheritance is this wonderful promise from God fulfilled in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died for our sins and rose again to save us. Up to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Paul is extending the metaphor that he was using about the pedagogue from chapter 3. And to recap, a pedagogue is a slave to a household owner whose role was to teach the owner's children. The promise was there all along. God was always reaching out to humanity and being faithful to us. But there was this time where we needed to be under the law. We needed to learn the lessons that we could from that law until the appropriate time came. During that time period where Israel were under the law, they were like the children who were still heirs to the household because uh, they were still heirs to that promise that God gave Abraham. But they were also like slaves because until they had reached that appropriate age or that appropriate time, they did not have the right to receive that inheritance. So Israel weren't ready for that time away from the law until the time set by the Father who is God. 
Now, some people may feel cynical about the idea that everything always happens in God's perfect timing. And to be honest, I'm a little bit cynical about that too. I think in this world, a lot of the time, things simply just happen or don't happen because we live in a broken world full of broken people and stuff just happens and gets in the way. However, the world is not simply chaos. God is sovereign and God has this big plan for humanity as he illustrates, as Paul illustrates through this passage today. And God does have plans for each one of us too. It may be that, like the Israelites, we need times of preparation to be ready for the good thing that is coming. I love Chrissy to bits, and I would do anything for her. In fact, the whole reason we moved to Perth is so that she could chase her ambitions uh, with her career, and I came to support her. But I know that if I had met Chrissy even months earlier than I did, I don't think we would have gotten together. And... Uh, Uh, Because I can tell you that I was not mature enough, even just months earlier, um, before we met. And circumstances were very different for the both of us. Uh, A little something about me. I had been excited to get married pretty much since I was 12 years old. It just always seemed like the best thing that you could do in life. But obviously I had to wait for that. And even when I was old enough to get married, I'm glad there was a period of waiting and preparation Because as I said, even months earlier, and I don't think Chrissy and I would have ended up together. I don't think she would have given me a second glance. I just wasn't ready. Uh, And if that story really interests you, uh, you can ask me after the service. But just before, I said that sometimes things just happen because we live in a broken world with broken people. And our next verse speaks into that. In verse 3, in the same way we also, when we were children were in slavery under the elements of the world. Paul is further explaining this metaphor of the children when he says the elements of the world there. Um, And when Paul talks about the elements of the world, he's not talking about natural elements like wind and rain and sun and those kinds of things, but foundational principles of the world in a philosophical and existential sense. The Greeks loved their philosophy. The word elements in Greek is stoicheia, which is where we get stoichiometry from, for those who studied chemistry. Stoicheia originally meant the first run of steps in masonry or a course or row of bricks. So it's that foundation upon which everything else rests. So when Paul says we're in slavery to the foundational elements or principles of the world, he's saying that those underlying foundational elements of the world are in conflict with the principles and foundations that we find in God. Basically, the foundation of the world is brokenness and sin. In this world, we don't have all the answers despite our best efforts, and we stuff up, and we make mistakes, and ultimately, I think the principle of the world is survival of the fittest. For life to survive and thrive, it comes at the cost of other life. The circle of life is also a circle of death to make way for life. But Jesus conquered death and offers new life that doesn't depend on a cycle of death, but is new creation and it is eternal. Verses 4 and 5. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
Having been under the law previously, the time came to graduate from the law, from the pedagogue, and Jesus came to redeem everyone so that we can receive the inheritance of the special chosen one. What I want to focus on here are the two biggest things or two of the biggest things in the New Testament that require just plain and simple faith beyond understanding. There may be things that you were raised with and take for granted, but they are quite remarkable. And Paul manages to squeeze these two things into less than half a sentence. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. First, Jesus was born of a woman, and not just that, but born to a virgin as well. This can be a real stumbling block or a real barrier for people. Today, this kind of thing is possible with artificial insemination, but that's not what happened here. The conception of Jesus was a miracle. No man involved whatsoever. I remember speaking to someone who'd been a Christian for most of their life. Um, This person was a very methodical, logical, and thoughtful person. The kind of person that really likes to see evidence and wants 11 out of 10 boxes ticked before they make an important decision. Uh, For contrast, uh, with me, he started dating his girlfriend about a year before Chrissy and I had even met, and Chrissy and I had gotten engaged and married before I think he even proposed. Um, And I remember having conversations with this guy where he would stop and ask me with an incredulous look on his face, but yeah, how do you know? How do you know you want to marry her? How do you know you want to be with her already? And maybe it had something to do with the fact I was ready since I was 12. Anyway, this guy really likes to have proof before making a decision. And he actually really struggled to grasp and accept the fact that Mary conceived miraculously without any man being involved. Getting past this stumbling block really is something essential to Christian faith, though as it reveals something incredible about the nature of Jesus, that he is both fully human and fully God. Jesus' conception was miraculous. It came from God. It was a new creation from nothing, and it was divine and glorious and holy. And yet, he was born to a woman, Mary, a regular person who lived life and made mistakes and sinned. And also, not someone who was even a direct descendant of David, the great king of the Old Testament, um, when Israel was at the height of its power. And that was a big deal because the Messiah, who turned out to be Jesus, uh, had been prophesied about for a long time, and it was thought and it was expected that he was going to be a direct descendant of David, and thus uh, a descendant of Abraham as well. In the genealogies or the family histories in the New Testament, Joseph was Jesus' earthly father, and Joseph is written down as a descendant of David, but Jesus himself is not blood-related to Joseph, or therefore David and Abraham. And this really drives home the point that Jesus, in being fully human, you know, he's still intimately connected with this whole plan of God working throughout the Bible, but he really lowers himself to that status of a regular average person like you and me and once we accept all of that the next part goes on to say born under the law to redeem those under the law and Paul had just been talking about how being under the law is a curse and that the law cannot save us but Jesus come in comes in and walks this line of being both fully human 
and fully divine. He grounds himself in humanity and history by coming down to earth and walking with humans, living under the curse of the law and subjecting, subjecting himself to the curse of sin on the cross, even though he himself lived a blameless life in order to redeem us and to allow us to put on the clothing of Christ. The fact that Jesus himself was born under the law again shows us that the law was not bad, nor was it against God. And the law itself is good because it helps to educate us about right and wrong. God knew that it wouldn't save us, but he also knows that we're curious and that often we require tangible things to help us understand the world. God made us curious and intelligent and gave us this whole world that we inhabit to understand and seek out and to research. And we're good at understanding empirical things that we can measure because there is an exact and tangible answer, like my friend who really likes to see that evidence. The question of good and evil, right and wrong, is more obscure. So God gave us a tangible thing in the law to help us to understand it a little bit more. Knowing that it wouldn't get us to fully comprehend good and evil and right and wrong and the existential questions of life, but it helped to point us in that direction. And then God fulfilled that whole process by giving us the tangible person of Jesus, fully human, fully God, who walked the earth, performed miracles, died and raised back to life. Something tangible that we can hold on to and put our faith in. And the last two verses round out this metaphor that Paul has been working with. In 6 and 7 it says, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. We are heirs to that inheritance. We're no longer slaves. The law is fulfilled and we have direct access to Jesus. So reading all of this, there are a few main takeaways uh, in this passage for me. One is God had a plan. The more I read the Bible, uh, the more this just becomes clearer and clearer. The Bible can seem quite disjointed at times, being a collection of lots of different books written by different people at different times, but the more I read it, the clearer it becomes to me that God is one, God is eternal, and uh, God, through the whole Bible, one good plan that he carried out and executed uh, in his time for the fullest effect. And I say it becomes clearer the more I read, because these seemingly disjointed bits all just make more sense when you put them together. And Paul shows that in the way that he explains how uh, God's promise to Abraham, the law, and how that fits into the picture, and finally how all of this was fulfilled in Jesus. The next thing is that in the same way that God had this plan for salvation, for all humanity, he also has a plan for each of us. And in the same way that it didn't make sense to Israel at that time when they were under the law, I have to accept that sometimes God plan, God's plan won't make sense to me but maybe he's preparing me for something even greater. In life, we go through seasons, and sometimes it's a season of uh, everything coming together, and it feels really fantastic, and it feels like you're on top of the world. 
and everything just makes sense. And sometimes it's a season of preparation where it's okay that you don't feel like you're contributing or you don't feel like you're kicking the goals that you should or you're not hitting milestones. Um, maybe you're in a season where you're waiting for that next thing to take place. Maybe you're in a season of preparation. And it will make sense on the other side. And when you get to that point, the way that God taught you through that period will become, uh, will make all the more sense when you get there. Next, we are all one in Christ. We are, all of us, the chosen special one of God that he has decided to give his, in his inheritance to. Uh, and that might seem counterintuitive that we're all this special chosen one, but God is just that big. And last, we need to clothe ourselves in Christ. It's in the first verse of the passage for today. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And again, the sense there that you're clothing yourself with Christ. We don't need these old, ragged, dirty clothes that need washing and rewashing. No, we can clothe ourselves with Christ. Clothes that are always clean, that don't require more from us than to put them on because Jesus does the rest when we place our trust in him. And when we do that, as it says in the second to last verse, God sends the Spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that our hearts echo the very words that Jesus cried out as he was in his time of preparation, shortly before he was led to the cross to be crucified, rounding out this whole narrative very nicely and very poetically and convincing me more that this is one book with one plan that all makes sense together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have one plan, that you are one, that you are eternal, and that you love us. And throughout all of history, you have been preparing us as people, and that in Jesus you fulfilled that act of salvation, that act of redemption, to bring us closer to you, to make us righteous, and to make us right with you. Lord, we thank you that we can put on the clothes of Christ uh, and that they do not tarnish and they don't get old and ragged and dirty, but that your redemption is once and it is for all time and that it invites us into that place of relationship and eternity with you. Uh, and Lord, just pray for those people who feel like they're in a time of preparation at the moment where things don't feel like they're coming together, things don't seem to make sense. God, that your peace can be on those people um, and that when they trust in you and put on those clothes of Christ, that you will hold them and carry them, make their path straight and that we trust, Lord, that in the end this will all make sense to us as we continue to journey with you. Amen.